You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom. Every week in one of our episodes, we pick through the rubble of the collision of media, tech, and entertainment to find a few golden nuggets of wisdom to help pay our way and make our way, uh, make it through the day. Thanks for joining me. I always appreciate having you uh, come along for the ride. Been uh, thinking this is quite a week in the history of the streaming wars. If they ever get around to writing a history of the Hollywood grudging embrace of the next era of entertainment, this week ought to be marked in red letters. That's because three of Hollywood's biggest media companies, Disney, NBC Universal, and Viacom CBS took major steps away from their broadcast, film, and pay TV roots to further embrace streaming. And then, to tell you the truth, the moves can't come soon enough. Theatrical exhibition is in tatters, and it's only going to get worse as the pandemic drags on, production of new films lags, and the malls where many theaters are located become ghost towns. Studios can't count on the same old first distribution window magically reappearing by September, Warner Media's oft-changed plans for Christopher Nolan's Tenet notwithstanding. They'll need to adapt business models much more to streaming to generate new kinds of audience relationships and revenue opportunities, and it looks like many of the companies are doing it aggressively, finally. It's not much better in pay TV right now. The situation has gotten a little bit dire. Cord cutting has accelerated to record levels. Household penetration rates are dropping to levels not seen in a quarter century, which only will further erode the vast sums that media companies had been harvesting for carriage and other fees. Again, that will force studios to look at streaming as the remaining growth opportunity going forward. Broadcast may perk up slightly with the return of live sports, but given the clown show that's marked Major League Baseball's return, and that includes my own favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals, who've lost, I think, half the games that they would have played because of various coronavirus infections, the uncertainty over college football and the NFL's many compromises, which keep pushing that season backward, it's not clear how much live sports we're actually going to get. Lightshed Partners, a group that I follow closely, issued a lengthy report this last week on Disney's moves, calling them, quote, three torpedoes that will accelerate legacy media's collapse, unquote. That's a bit melodramatic, but the case they make is solid. As the cable bundle breaks, traditional distribution windows get smashed, and studios make explicit the resource shifts that are moving premium programming quickly from traditional outlets to streaming, hastening the decline of the business models that Hollywood's relied on for decades for its profits. The shifts are building into an avalanche that will spur further shifts in programming, audiences, and money. Quote, just a matter of time, unquote, Lightshed's Rich Greenfield, Brandon Ross, and Mark Kelly wrote in a post this week. The moves themselves will likely continue to transform the industry in coming months. In case you missed the week's news, however, here's the rundown. Disney finally gave up on a wide theatrical release for its live-action remake of Mulan after several attempts to set a date this summer. Instead, Disney will create its own distribution window, making the film available through Disney Plus subscribers only for an additional $30 next month on top of their usual monthly fee. That's a very different strategy than Disney Plus's free inclusion last month of the movie version of the Broadway hit Hamilton which admittedly cost far less to make than the $200 million Mulan. 
somewhere between free and $30, I think we're going to find a likely strategy for many future Disney releases. Cinemark and Regal, the theater chains, have signaled that they are not interested in cutting deals similar to either Disney's PVOD approach or a different one that NBC Universal and AMC previously announced that included some revenue sharing in exchange for shorter exclusive windows when those NBC Universal films are showing in AMC theaters. That's certainly a brave stand for the number two and three theater chains in the United States, but perhaps not a sustainable one. Cinemark CEO Mark Zarati said an aggressive shortened theatrical window could have an adverse impact on the mid to tail end of a film's life, unquote. Well, so could widespread theater closures, bankruptcies, and lingering customer concern about theater safety. Lightshed predicts widespread theater closures and bankruptcies are indeed on the way. Quote, moviegoing will not disappear, but there will not be enough demand nor supply of content to support 40,000 plus screens in the United States. We continue to expect most exhibition chains to file for bankruptcy in the coming 12 to 24 months, which will lead to a significant shrinkage of their footprint slash bankruptcy within 12 to 24 months, unquote. A federal judge lifted at the U.S. Department of Justice's request the so-called Paramount Decrees, which had been in place since 1948 and prevented studios from owning theaters or engaging in anti-competitive behaviors such as block booking. Lifting the decrees clears the way for traditional media companies to buy back into the exhibition business if they so choose and create more of a vertical integrated approach to the way that they do their streaming and their older theatrical distribution. More interesting to me is the potential for somebody like Amazon or Apple to buy some theaters, convert some of the underutilized space in those theaters into Apple stores or Whole Foods, Genius Bars or Amazon Pickup, and possibly sites for things like esports tourneys or VR experiences and so much else. If theater chains head into bankruptcy, there will be some opportunities for more ambitious uses of some of the retail base here. It is indeed some of the most underutilized space in all of retail, and right now a lot of retail is being underutilized. Speaking of sports, Disney executives during their earnings call this week suggested that they'd be, quote, open to any and all options in terms of how we may be able to get our ESPN programs to our consumers, unquote. That's not quite saying they're going to give up on pay TV, but it's sort of hinting that they're open to some suggestions. Given that ESPN Long was the single most lucrative property on pay TV, this suggests the worldwide leader may not be locked into its traditional footprint for much longer. Will ESPN Plus be getting more of the premium live sports content that's been sitting on a shrinking cable footprint in the future? Bet on it. And bet on the streaming version having a lot more sports betting information, too. Disney also wrote off $5 billion worth of value in its international linear channels. This was a pretty dramatic, if underreported, move that says how little Disney thinks of the worth of its traditional cable properties even in other countries. The company's 10Q filing expects those, t- those channels to be, quote, negatively impacted by the shift to streaming, as in impacted a lot. Finally, in tandem with the international channel's write-down, Disney announced it will launch a general entertainment streaming service overseas to be called Star. That's a very different strategy from Disney's three-headed U.S. monster of Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, and Hulu, with uh, FX contributing mightily. Regardless of what programming ends up on Star, the cable channels overseas will be getting a lot less of the premium content, and that will hasten their demise. 
Meanwhile, Comcast, NBC Universal, announced a sweeping reorganization of its TV operations designed to reorient the operations towards streaming. As much as 10% of the workforce reportedly faces layoffs, not least among them the entertainment chairman, Paul Talagdi, the architect of reality hits such as The Voice, but also subject to allegations of a wide range of crummy behavior. Lots of dust still needs to settle at NBCU, most particularly regarding who will head Peacock. Regardless of who's running that streaming service, NBC Universal executives made it clear the just-launched service will be getting more resources and legacy linear networks will be getting less. NBCU is already experimenting with cost-cutting approaches like running summer competition show Cannonball on both NBC and USA. That doesn't feel like a win for viewers to me, but it certainly saves money and fills up the programming grid. And E, another of NBC's channels, just canceled a string of expensive entertainment news shows, which will be replaced by cheaper reality programming. You can see where this is going for the lesser networks on basic cable that are owned by NBCU. Over at Viacom CBS, they used their earning call to put a little more detail around plans to beef up the anemic CBS All Access service to better compete globally. Executives said the service will launch early next year in three regions with a much larger footprint, with local originals, first-run programming from both Showtime and CBS All Access, first-run and classic Paramount films, and series from several Viacom networks. Viacom already had added 70 shows from its vaults to the U.S. version of All Access a couple of weeks ago. It's not yet clear whether the company will reshape U.S. operations on the international, quote, Viacom CBS All Access model that super service, as Bob Backish likes to call it, but the CEO has repeatedly used international venues to fine-tune his distribution strategies, so expect this to perhaps be where things are headed. It's worth mentioning this crazy week that uh, TikTok was particularly all over the news, with Microsoft trying to buy its U.S. and three other territories for a reported $30 billion dollars. While President Trump issued a problematically vague, not necessarily constitutional, executive order that may keep TikTok and WeChat from doing business with U.S. companies within about 45 days. The order also may impact their giant parent organizations, ByteDance and Tencent, respectively, which have lots of other U.S. investments in music, gaming, and entertainment. Though TikTok's known for short-form videos, earlier this year it hired former Disney streaming chief Kevin Mayer as CEO, in part to help the company move into areas such as live news and sports, among much else. What TikSoft might look like in six months or a year could be a lot more like YouTube or even the subscription streamers, and it would be freed possibly of some of the challenges it's faced with uh, dealing with its Chinese owners and have a new opportunity behind the deep-pocketed Microsoft with something like $1.6 trillion in market capitalization. And though all this news happened at the back end of last week, I also don't want to forget streaming services 10 days ago overwhelmed the Emmy nominations. Netflix grabbed a whopping 160 nominations, far more than number two HBO, and more than the four broadcast networks combined. Disney Plus's The Mandalorian grabbed 15 more, including one for Best Dramatic Series. Apple TV Plus even pulled in 16 nominations, including five acting nominations for The Morning Show. Awards counting is always dicey business, but the breadth of nominations across streaming services suggests where the quality projects are heading these days, and the eyeballs are certainly following. 
Anyway, that's uh, that's our show. Hang on for a minute. I'll be right back. Wrap up with some further thoughts. Uh, hold on. So what do you think about all this news happening in streaming and uh, really the shift from traditional Hollywood entertainment to streaming away from theatrical distribution, away from broadcast and what's happening over on the basic cable side? It is so explicit in some of the moves that came down this week. I'd love to hear from you about what you think. You can always reach me on Twitter at David Bloom or on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom. And, of course, you, uh, I would love for you, if you enjoy what you hear here, to rate, review, share, and subscribe Bloom in Tech so that other folks, particularly those algorithms out there, will discover that we have something to say that's worth listening to once in a while. In the meantime, uh, I hope you're well. If you uh, like what you hear and you'd like to leave a message, you can do that on the service that syndicates and hosts my program. That's anchor.fm, which is now owned by Spotify. You can go on there and leave an audio message. If you really, really like what I have to say, you can leave a little money in the till to keep this magic media machine rolling. They have a system somewhat like Patreon, where you can be a supporter of the show. Any little bit you might think is worthwhile would be greatly appreciated, but I certainly understand in this difficult time that you may not have some spare dollars in the back pocket. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself and those you care about, and also those you don't really know or have reason to care about. This is still a difficult and challenging time, and we all have some things we need to give to make this a better place. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.